and it's about time for true crime hey hi stop <laughs> copying me you were copying me yeah i was how are you guys doing today do you have a copycat um how's that weird coworker? mine's in my kitchen so uh have you considered giving them deodorant because um, i need some and i wouldn't mind if ali paid for it i have um. <laughs> tried several times to no avail um because you always use the ones that i'm allergic to well <laughs> don't be allergic to everything <laughs> i'd love to and fucking love it could you arrange that so it's more convenient for me <laughs> i wish um true crime news i know by the time this comes out it'll kind of be old news but um our girl gypsy rose is out mrs parolee who she said me and my fiance oh have you uh sorry that wasn't actually to get her have you guys ever heard of the movie (laughs) raising arizona it's a very old nick cage movie it's so fucking obscure my dad loves it so we watched it like a lot when I was growing up and it's one of my like little heart favorites. It's a very weird humor, but Nick Cage is a felon who falls in love with a corrections officer and they get married. Oh, and she can't have kids, so they steal a quintuplet of like a very rich famous man. Oh, and they raise him. But he always calls his girlfriend or, you know, the woman in the story his fiance. So instead of fiance. <laughs> Yep. So that's oh. always where I go with that. But it is very funny. If you guys are into like kind of off the wall humor, it's hysterical. Is that why you got into criminal justice? Probably, if like I'm being it. honest. Um I like it. For the husband. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, that's a very funny segue into today's case. Okay. Um I'm gonna get started kinda early, mostly because I'm excited about it, but also um I like it, and that's a really good segue. So, all right, let's do it. Skippers, no skipping. Stop, you guys. We're gonna start now. Early. Soup's on. Okay. (laughs) And by soup, we mean murder. Pod time. Bring, bring. Okay. Hi, hello, howdy. Welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast. About time for true crime. Um, thank you for joining. For those of you who are new, I am Abby. That is Allie. Thank you. Although I often also accidentally call myself Allie because everyone else does. It happens. Um, But today I wanted to do something spooky inspired as it is the season and next week is Halloween. Um, Today we're talking Los Angeles. Okay. We're talking Los Angeles back in the 50s. Okay. And we're talking about murder. We're talking about trick-or-treating. We're talking about closets. And we're talking about whatever artist tropes were appropriate for the 50s. Okay. (laughs) Hit me. Okay. So just taking a quick moment to call out my sources. Murder with my husband did an awesome take on this case. I also really love that, like us, they're one of the few podcasts I've heard that have listed off their sources at the beginning. Thank you. And also, I love that they do a great job of citing their facts to sources throughout the whole thing. Um, But just for our sake and my ADD, I'll just list as many as I can here. And the rest of them will all be down below, I promise, every time. So, of course... Murder with My Husband did an awesome take on it. I believe it was episode 133, but either way, um, they have both audio and visual format. So I watched it again, the ADD. And then I also used Vice, the New York Daily News, Los Angeles Public Library Archives, and the LA Daily Mirror. Of course, of course, they're always going to be more and they're always linked below as well as our link tree. Um, which, by the way, includes all of our socials, ways to get merch, and ways to donate. We'd love it so much if you'd consider following, donating, telling a friend, leaving a review. They'll help so much, and really, it's motivation for us to keep going with you. Oh. I love our little ATFDC fam, and we only get to interact with you guys when you interact with us. So Yeah, and we're we giving you all little like nose boops and little kisses on the little cute little cheek. And come on, it's so cute. Yeah. We love it. So I also <laughs> wanted to issue a trigger warning Um, Yes, of course, there is murder. It's a murder podcast. Um, The murder itself won't be very gory or graphic. But what I do want to warn you extra of is today we get into some tough mental health issues with people in the closet. Um, Now, I can't speak for the entirety of any group, but as a local bisexual who didn't come out until adulthood, 
I can empathize deeply with many of the characters in this story and just wanted to take this time to remind anyone that not one person is representative of an entire community. No. In any community, that is not the case. So um, I will likely talk some more about it later, but for now, we're just going to get into it. Let's do it. We're going to zoom in to Sun Valley, California on Halloween night, 1957, around 11.30 p.m. Okay. It's late. Sun Valley is a little bit north of L.A. and, you know, a suburb vibe. It's been a long, happy day of trick-or-treaters. Peter Fabiano, a hairstylist of 35, was getting into bed with his wife Betty for the night. In my mind, I imagine they've taken the silly little Halloween costumes adults use for handing out trick-or-treat candy, maybe a witch's hat or overalls and a flannel with some hay stuffed in it as you hand out your little pieces to the little ghosties and ghouls walking around your neighborhood. Maybe they had to take off makeup or just put on their comfies and get ready for bed, brush their teeth, make some tea, whatever their routine is. But the lights on their front porch were off. The door closed to children who hadn't been at the door ringing in quite some time now. It's 1130. They were probably at home, parents stressing out about how much sugar was just thrown into their house for free, trying to wrangle kids to get into bed after eating hours worth of candy, walking around. Missed those days. Or maybe the kids were just putting it all out on the ground, figuring out what they had, trading, deciding what they didn't want. And mom and dad were going through looking for any cracks and openings in the candy. I'll take the Reese's if you don't want them. Um, also, I don't know if the paranoia around Halloween candy was that bad yet, but I imagine most parents were probably stressed anyway, just as an anxiety girly. But make sure there's no like roofing nails in there. But, yeah, exactly. Um, why were their whoppers always left behind? I why? Just, I don't know. I mean, I know why, but like why? <laughs> <laughs> That's just anyway. So it's been clear, though, that the festivities of the holiday were coming to a close. If anyone was doing anything, it was teenagers watching a scary movie in their pajamas before bed. It's like basically Christmas time by now. Exactly. It's 1130 on Halloween. What are you doing? Where's it's Mariah? Basically November. She's defrosting as is <laughs> Michael Buble. So what so, about it? <laughs> either way, Betty and Peter are happily climbing into bed. Hmm. After all, it is a Thursday. And I'm almost certain that the couple had work in the morning. Oh, God, that's so late. Isn't Halloween on a weeknight so weird? I'm so old now it's that like so 1130 weird. on a Thursday night. Right? Girl. Ma'am, where's your sleep mask? Mm-mm. You just curl right up into bed. But the two brush their teeth, put pajamas on, and throw back the covers. But as they do that, one last group of trick-or-treaters come. Um, it's a little late for that. They are both annoyed because they just got into bed. Um, And so Peter drags himself out of bed annoyed, but he does, and he throws on the lights and he grabs the candy. He wouldn't just be like, screw it, you came three hours late. Nope. Better luck next year. (laughs) Better luck next year. He said, we got extra, we might as well. Throws on the light, grabs the little bowl, and opens the door. Now... We find out later there was a bit of a conversation, but we know at least that he goes, isn't it a little bit late for this? Before we hear a loud pop. Oh, God. This loud pop or bang, if you will, woke up Betty's daughter, Judy. Mm. Now, although Betty and Peter were both in their mid 30s and they had met like 17 years ago, at least Betty had come into the marriage with two children, Judy and Richard. Judy was now a teenager and still living with the two as a family unit, and Richard had just returned to the Navy earlier that week or even that day. Oh, wow. Different sources, different things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So when Judy was startled awake, she ran to the door only to see Peter Fabiano on the ground, bleeding profusely. So Betty stayed with Peter while Judy ran next door. Mm. And I just want to commend Judy for a great action, particularly to be a teenager in the midst of trauma and potential death of a loved one. She remembered not only to go get help and to find help, but she remembered to go to a house of a local law enforcement officer. Good for her. Right? So she gets their neighbor, Bud Alper. He lived like two doors down and she was like, oh, fucking help. She probably didn't say fucking, but I did. And he was like, got it on the way. And so LAPD was actually there super fast. Which was awesome. And they got Peter to the nearest hospital as quick as they could. 
Unfortunately, though, despite the quick replies and everyone doing everything right, Peter had been shot in the chest with one bullet, Mm -hmm. and it was less than a hair's width away from his heart. Oh, God. Peter was pronounced dead at the hospital, succumbing to his very trick end of the trick-or-treat stick. Oh, you had to do that. I did. I'm sorry. So when police came to investigate, things, they didn't get clearer. (laughs) You know, at least Mm. not right away. There were no witnesses of the crime. Although a local teenager saw a car speed off. There were no bullet shells anywhere around the home. And nothing had been stolen, despite the fact that the Fabianos had two very successful hair and beauty parlors. So police and Betty, and I'm sure Judy, but certainly police and Betty are wondering, who would do this? Why? Yeah. They only shot him once. And then they peeled off. Like, did they even take the candy? I doubt it. It's like, you just ding-dong ditch to kill somebody? Yeah. You know that, um, you know the movie adaptation of Clue? And there's like the singing telegram that comes (laughs) up and she gets shot? Like, that's what I imagine this to be. Oh. Like, Trick or trick. Like, oh. Yeah. Isn't it a little late for... Yep. Oh. Yeah. And then they were gone. Out. No good deed goes unpunished. He could have just said, fuck them kids and stayed yep. in bed. And isn't no it awful? No one would have blamed him. The get off my lawn guy would have lived in this nice chap. Mm-hmm. Damn. So when police, like Betty, were wondering all of these questions, I am excited to take a moment to praise the LAPD because they did what we ask so many police officers to do, which was start with victimology. (laughs) In the 50s, no less. In the 50s. Okay. Don't get me wrong. We did not know nearly as much criminology, and we didn't have the procedures that match the same standards we have today. Not even a little bit. They needed to know who Peter and Betty were before they could figure out who might not like Peter and Betty, you know? And it helps investigations like this tremendously, especially when there's no added element of motive, like stealing something or even taking the candy or defiling a house. Like, it was literally just ding dong, pew pew, bye. I can't even imagine... The shock that he would feel because he probably opened the door to a gun. Right. With zero time to react. And then his wife probably still upstairs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't even want to imagine what the next five seconds even felt like for her. Seriously. And, you know, police obviously naturally first started with Betty. That makes the most sense, I think, in everybody's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, When speaking with Betty, they learned a few more pertinent details about what happened right before Peter's attack. Since the Fabiano home was a ranch-style house, it was four bedrooms and two bathrooms on the same level, Betty heard everything, including the conversation before the gunshot, which meant Peter didn't open the door to a gun. Oh. He opened the door to a person. Oh, no. And she recalled hearing Peter go downstairs, turn on the light, grab the candy. And when he opened the door and saw that it was trick-or-treaters, Betty heard him ask, isn't it a little late for this? And she couldn't quite make out what they replied, but she did make out that it was a really strange voice. Hmm. She said it was like someone talking in a character or like trying to manipulate their voice higher or lower somehow. And she thought there were two voices. So Hmm. she thought there were two trick-or-treaters at least. Um. But after they replied, um, and while, you know, Betty might have been curled up in bed before, something about that bang, the thud, and the sound of a car racing away really got her blood pumping again, to say the least. Peter Fabiano was only 35 years old the night of his death. Oh my gosh, so young. I know. Peter was born in 1922, and actually he had been a Marine in World War II. He was a really decent man. And the only other thing that the police could come up with him getting in trouble was one time with the law, which was at least like, I think it was before he met Betty, but it had at least been 15 years. And it was, this is fun, allegedly a bookmarking incident, which according to the LA criminal defense website, uh, bookmarking is a charge that is related to illegal gambling and oftentimes prostitution. Now, although Peter never got in trouble again 
or before that, the police knew that they had to make sure there was no gang involvement since that's who they typically saw with illegal gambling schemes. And with very, very little effort, they were able to entirely cross that off the list. Peter was not a bad guy. And honestly, I'm really glad I looked it up because I totally thought that would have been just like forging stuff in the parlor salon to take home a bigger check or something. But yeah, nope. He probably just wanted to play a little game of poker. Got caught. Well, I'm assuming with a last name like Fabiano, he's a fellow Italian himself. And I'm like, hey, hey, Tony, Tony, come, come on. (laughs) Carmela, come on, the meatloaf. (laughs) Let's go. So um, love that. I'm so glad we get to learn something together. (laughs) But uh, it should also be noted that like Peter was genuinely a good guy and nothing else came up and it was good. The police got to cross it off the list, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyways, after all of this, Peter decided to become a hairdresser. He had two salons and they were in the San Fernando Valley uh, for those of you familiar with California, I'm not. So I'm not going to try to specifically place this. I'm fairly certain it was between L.A. and Sun Valley where they lived. Okay. So Peter and Betty met in the 40s and they were married just two years before this night. Not like to the day or anything, but they were married in 1955. It's 1957. Okay, but they knew each other. Right. Yes. For, for a long time. Some time. Like almost 20 years. It sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Betty was 36 when Peter died and... It seems like she might have helped with the salon. Obviously, in the 50s, it was pretty commonplace for a woman to stay home and take care of the kids. But with both of her kids being a little bit older, she probably had a little bit more time to take on more responsibility like that. That makes sense. She also allegedly had this really pretty red hair. And I'm like, you lucky duck. You probably got your hair done for free. Oh. Right? Goals. Absolutely. So now I'm thinking like, Maybe I need to get a hairdressing license or make Sam. Um. Uh, seriously. <laughs> Sam, you taking notes? Or? Right. So the only thing that the police could even sort of find for potential motives was the maybe gang activity. And even that didn't work out because he wasn't in a gang and he wasn't involved with any. Hey, Tony. Hey, Tony. So the police were stuck. And the only thing left that they could do was ask Betty do you think anybody would want to hurt Peter? And despite our veteran Marine and our hardworking business owner and loving husband to Betty Fabiano, surprisingly, Betty's answer was yes. Oh, she did know someone who might want to hurt Peter. Betty told the police that the only enemy and the only person who might have done something to him was one of Betty's old friends, Joan Rabel. Or rebel, it just depends. But I'll call her Joan. So <laughs> so here's the thing. Hmm. Joan is like a little bit of a mystery. Okay. Specifically where Joan came from and where Joan went. She's much like Cotton-Eyed Joe in that way. Where did she come from? Where did she go? Cotton-Eyed Joan. But, um, I like that. So <laughs> we do believe that Joan was born in 1917. Although different sources say different things as to where she came from. Some say Philadelphia. A newspaper reported she emigrated from Lithuania. And there's nothing to say she couldn't have immigrated from Lithuania to Philly before going to the West Coast. But there's also nothing to say that she did that either. Mm. (laughs) What we do know about Joan is that in her early career, she was a photographer and writer. And I'm assuming some sort of journalist particularly the combination of those things with the fact that she traveled everywhere. She sailed a lot, um, particularly around Honolulu and Pearl Harbor. Joan had already been around the world, married and divorced before she was 40 and found herself on the doorstep of one of Peter's salons. Mm. See, Joan was looking for a job and Peter said, great, I need a receptionist or an admin person. And he hired her. She was a good worker. And Joan and Betty became fast friends. Okay. History would even call them best friends. Mm. If you know, you know. Uh, the, cu- <laughs> the couple really enjoyed her as a new friend and welcomed them into their lives pretty quickly. She'd be at family dinners. She knew their kids. Did Peter, like, really enjoy being friends with her? 
Um, Betty really did. Oh my! Oh. So, <laughs> again, history would have called them best friends. Oh. So okay, that went completely <laughs> over my head before. I know you're my token straight friend. Oh. Um, <laughs> however, around this time, Peter and Betty started having some marital problems, as you might expect. Um, and so they actually tried living apart for a little bit. Such good friends. Um, in fact. Because they were such good friends during this time period, Betty moved in with Joan. So they were together nearly constantly. Peter described this behavior as abnormal, essentially alluding to the two potentially being romantically involved because, God forbid, there were gays in the 50s. (laughs) God forbid. Betty allegedly told Joan that Peter was abusive and controlling. Betty seemingly was able to escape from this relationship during her time with Joan, not just like physically to Joan's house, but, you know, you have that emotional connection with someone else. You're like, oh, my gosh, isn't this wild? I hate it when he doesn't do the dishes all day. Mm -hmm. And I say she allegedly told Joan that Peter was abusive and controlling because I haven't heard anything from Betty to say that she did. Okay. And I've only heard it told as Joan said this. Interesting. So gotcha. I just want that to be known. I'm not sure how true this is. And I'll go into later as to why I take that with a grain of salt anyway. But um, Peter did catch on. You know, yes. he wasn't that blind. Betty um, did enjoy her time with Joan, though. During this conflict and during this time apart, uh, Joan would pretty much just encourage whatever frustrations Betty was putting out there. And Peter knew it. Peter felt like Joan was pulling Betty away from him, which is true. And this was an incredibly difficult situation for pretty much everyone involved, but particularly Betty and Peter. Because what do you do when you're having issues with your husband and so your closest friend is saying like, yeah, fuck him. He is being wrong. But then your closest friend is also like, want to sleep over? And then your husband is like, I want you to have friends and I want you to have a healthy life and support system. But like she hates me. So what do I do there? And now right. it's like this person that used to be at Sunday dinners eating rotisserie chicken with you. Is like the rock under the princess and the P hundred mattresses. But that's your relationship. Mm. So eventually Betty did decide that her marriage was worth saving. Yeah. And while we don't know the details, Betty did come clean to Peter and say there was an affair going on with okay. Joan. And, you know, um, Peter, to his credit, was like, all right, let's reconcile because I think our relationship is worth saving. But his. I'll say compromise on that was that not only was Betty to never see Joan again, Betty wasn't even to speak Joan's name. Okay. Which is a lot, but I, you know, I suppose it does cramp a guy's style when his wife cheats on him with his receptionist and then moves out of his house and into hers. Um, Yeah, I would expect him to cheat with the receptionist. I said I just, usually it's the other way around. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I had feelings. I was like, Peter sounds too good. Peter's too good. Pete. In- yep. Pete. Pete. What do nope. you? Nope. Peter's actually great. And that's the worst part of all of this is like he's the one dead on the doorstep. Aww. And all he did was love his wife and be like, you know what? Don't cheat on me. Like, <laughs> I don't want to see her again. So um, it is nice that the two both decided their relationship was worth working on. It's always good to see when people take that commitment to each other seriously. Also, Betty is out here representing for us buys. You know, <laughs> even if she isn't making the soundest choices in her entire timeline, we love the representation. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so but for Peter, it wasn't enough for Betty to not only see Joan. It wasn't enough for Betty to not even speak her name again. Peter needed more. So he fired her from his salon. Joan no longer had a job. And I now mean, that I mean, that makes sense, though. Yeah. I mean, you don't want her in your. Correct. I've trusted you. Your business. That seems. um I've let you into my profession. I've let you into my home. And that has not gone well. I've let you into my children's lives. Yeah. My stepchildren's lives. I've trusted you with this part of our lives. And you, um, well, uh, you pleasured it real good. <laughs> you took 
good kid. No, I, you know, ugh, damn it. Yeah. Um, but you know what? This is probably the only time you're going to hear me say this, but let's take a moment to have some empathy for Joan. Okay. Um, she came to Sun Valley. She met two great people at 40 after just getting divorced. She became fast friends with them both. She became closer and quote unquote best friends um, with one of them. She became a marriage escape U-Haul lesbian, got Betty as a roommate, lost Betty as a roommate. Then Betty cuts her off entirely and Joan gets fired. 1957 was a tough year for Miss Joan. <laughs> oh. But despite everything, when Joan was brought in for questioning, she actually didn't say a word of any of this history. Um, she was like, nope, nothing's wrong. Nothing's happening. Why would you ask? I was home all night. Mm. What do you mean? Who, me? Oh, ma. So instead, she says that she's good friends with the Fabianos, of course, but she had been home all night. Her car was outside and her... You know, she was watching TV, waiting for trick-or-treaters, and ask her neighbors. Anyone would say so. Hmm. And the police said, you got it, dude. We're going to check every neighbor. <laughs> yes. And that they did. So police interviewed pretty much every neighbor. And all of her neighbors were like, yep, nope, her lights were on and her car was in her driveway all night. Yeah, because you were like staring out your window, making sure of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. And something that I think is worth noting is everything was going well, but the police had just like one person they hadn't talked to yet. And so they were like, all right, come on, like, let's do our due diligence. Let's go talk to Margaret. So they go and talk to Margaret Barrett. Okay. Not Beret. I did look it up. It's Barrett. You um, sure about that? Pretty sure. Okay. So when they asked the same routine questions, everything matched except one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margaret said, yeah, her car was there all night, but that's because Joan asked to borrow my car for the night. Ooh. <laughs> Marge, yes, girl. So Margaret told the police that, like, she said she needed it to go to the grocery store, and then when she got it back, it was a little weird, but there were, like, 37 miles on her car. But, like, what are friends for? She needed a car. I let her use my car. Mag set the trip before she gave yes, it to Maggie. her, too. She was like, mm. She's like, I'm going to look at that mileage. I know it's not 37 miles away, bitch. Yeah. Um, and the police are like, oh, there are a lot of grocery stores between here and 37 miles away. Do you ever just need to go to the grocery store on Halloween night? Like an hour away? At 11... 30 p.m. far away yeah and take a friend's car who obviously didn't trust you enough to just give you the keys without perfectly checking out the car before and after you had it yeah what is this hurts literally uh you would uh (laughs) um it is 25 cents you didn't fill the tank yeah uh Uh, also the windshield wiper fluid was a little bit low a wee bit a wee bit so anyway, um, the Fabianos lived just under 15 miles away from Joan, though, in case you were wondering, which would be just about 28 to 30 miles and leaves, uh, I don't know, room for a stop or two, you know? Mm-hmm. So police confront Joan and she confessed to the police that, OK, yes, yes, I did borrow a car, but I went to the grocery store and they were like, bitch, it's 37 miles on the car. Which which grocery store did you go to that's 37 miles away? And homegirl, what did you buy? And Miss Jones said, um, I wanted to go to my favorite one. Okay. <laughs> I will now. Now. Sorry. There are favorite grocery stores. Yes. I do get that. There, some, not all are made equally. No, they are not. But I can assume that, you know, in LA area in the 50s, there wasn't that much of a distinction. Hmm. But what do I know? So the police are still suspicious, but they're like, okay, fine. But why not take your own car and why lie about it? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what her answer was. This is a very old case. And a lot of the sources I have were from archives. And even those were kind of hard to come by. Mm. But what I do know is that they lay out the theory 
They call her ass on it. They say, "Mm -mm -mm, we think that the hate and bitterness from all of the Fabiano bullshit has led to you to dress up, ruse your way into an open door and shoot your enemy. After all, the enemy of your lover is your enemy. And when your lover leaves you for your enemy, aren't they also all your enemy? That just sounds like a lot of enemies, though. But either way, Joan doesn't budge. And frankly, lying about having a car or borrowing a car and where you went isn't enough to convict. So time begins to pass. And they truly believe that they have her. They just don't know how to get her. And they have nothing to hold her accountable with the evidence that they don't have because they have no evidence. Mm. All they have is that one 15-year-old kid who said they saw a car speeding by. That's it. And so a month passes before police get an anonymous tip in late November. Someone called the police and said the gun for this case, specifically Peter Fabiano's case, was hidden in a rental locker at a department store in downtown L.A. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, in a fun little twist of events, this store was called Bullock's. <laughs> I like that. Um, Bullock's was a department store. So it was kind of like Macy's. And actually, a lot of Macy's have taken over old Bullock department store buildings. So think the same big warehouse, lots of options, lots of things, just like little everyday needs, Mm -hmm. which I suppose included rental lockers. Now, the other thing to keep in mind about Bullock's is that it's right across the street from a cafe. Mm -hmm. These cafes, they're kind of like coffee corners. This was a pretty popular business set up in the 1950s. When a lot of women were home taking ki- like care of the kids and they had little kids and they needed girl time, they'd go out to these places, the kids could hang out and they'd share a cup of coffee and just talk. They'd get the hot goss, if you will. The hot goss. Mm-hmm. Now, what's nuts about all of this is actually police did go to that Bullocks and the gun was there and had a bullet left in it. Bullocks. Bullocks. Now, after running ballistics on the Bullock's gun, um, they found the 38 revolver to be the murder weapon that shot Peter Fabiano that frightful Halloween night. But there was one small wrench, one small, giant, huge, confusing, the owner wasn't Joan wrench. Ooh. The owner was a woman named Goldine Pizer. I love that. Goldine is a great name, by the way. But Goldine, after a quick search, turned out to just be a medical receptionist in a nearby children's hospital. I don't think anyone's been named Goldine since then. No. I love it. <laughs> Who the hell is Goldine? Who is she? That's a great question, babe. Thank you. Way to sleuth. Um, the police thought the same thing. Who the fuck is Goldine? But this is hard, solid proof for them. So the police had enough to go to Goldine's home and arrest her for the murder of Peter Fabiano. Mm-hmm. Now, something that I think is particularly cool about Goldine, beyond her name, which I also think is cool. Yes. Is that she immediately confesses to murder in the first degree of Peter Fabiano. Goldie. Goldie. Come on. Goldie. You didn't even lawyer up, Goldie. Deedee, baby. Come, Come on. on. So, Goldine says that she had a friend tell her how awful Peter was. In fact, she hated Peter so much that she was begging her friend to do it. Oh, shit. Goldine had no personal problems with Peter. No, no. But her friend, you might know her, Joan Rabel. Joan. Um, She had more than enough to convince Goldine that it was not only a good idea to kill Peter Fabiano, but it was the right idea. To kill Peter Fabiano. Oh. In 1957, Goldine was 43 and working at the children's hospital. She had been married a decade before, but by this time was divorced or widowed when she met Joan. The two met because they lived, I'm pretty sure, less than a mile from each other, but very close to each other. Okay. And they were very close to Sunset Strip where that Bullock's was and that coffee place was. And so the two girls would go and gab and grab their coffee and drop the hot goss and the hot tea and all of that good good while they were just catching up and chatting. All the good good. Exactly. And so 
in all seriousness, Joan knew Goldeen before she even met the Fabianos. I think she knew Goldeen for like a few years. But TrueCrimeEdition.com said that Goldeen was also a local queer. Hey, queen. Oh, my God. Um, her and Joan were close, but Goldeen was also very closeted. She had, were her and Joan, like, best friends? Um, History might say at some points, but not at all points. Okay. Um, <laughs> Goldeen had dated men and certainly suppressed or stayed in her local closet for the time being. Joan and Goldine were friends for years before Joan met the Fabianos, but specifically got increasingly close after Betty and Joan stopped talking mm, when Joan okay. was pushed out of their lives. Amidst their platonic friendships, Joan did meet the Fabianos. She meets Betty, dates Betty, breaks up, well, gets broken up with <laughs> by Betty. Mm. And Joan, with far more time, now starts to spend that time with Goldine. According to Goldeen, when the police arrested her, her and Joan liked to drink coffee in the mornings and gossip. And since both had been closeted and divorced, they had a huge amount to connect over. I personally love both coffee and gossip, but more so the relatability of having an element of your identity that you choose to hide. And to have that in common with someone is such a very specific niche of understanding. Mm -hmm. So just really quick. I'm going to go into a little gay culture rant. Okay. Hi. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about being gay and not gay as in just men liking men, but the overarching capital G gay or queer, depending on the person expressing it. I prefer queer. So as the conceptualization, I'll go with that. It's a very odd phenomenon to live in a time where we are told we are accepted while still knowing that, yeah, a lot of people do accept us, but it is not necessarily always safe to be exactly who you are even today. Um, and while I know that there are dangers and concerns with being openly out, many of those are very subliminal. And while they were subliminal and um, absolutely not subliminal and in your face in the 50s, I can imagine what it's like to live in a time where it is far less likely that you'd find someone who would accept you for who you are which pretty much just sucks. Um, and while I appreciate that my friends and family have allowed me this element of my identity to be just that, the an element of who I am and not the entirety of who I am, I know this is not a privilege that all queer people get. And the mere fact that I can tell my family and friends is a privilege that not all queer people get. I still get nervous when I see people in certain clothing with certain flags on themselves and general vibes if I walk into a store and I'm not particularly queer coded, meaning not many people could tell at first glance that I might not just be heterosexual. And this is a delightful privilege for me. It's the ability to blend in. I think a lot of queer people have had a moment or a lot of them in which blending in not only feels safer, but it's far more comfortable than living authentically. And I can only speak this with the context of the 21st century. You know what I mean? Um, in the hundred years prior to my rainbow existence on this earth, and even since, there have been shock conversion therapy camps, general hate crimes on gay people just for the fact that they are such. The presumption that a preference for one sex or gender identity means you're immoral or not godly, and even consistent and persistent threats of eternal damnation and hell. Doesn't that sound comfortable? Uh -huh. Hmm. Oh. The last two have happened to me and to people I know. So it's hard for me to not understand why we have three women who are queer in some fashion, hiding it from everyone in their lives. And while it's not surprising to me that all three had husbands at some point, even the event that the bisexuals represented by Betty or Joan or Goldine, they might have liked men as well as women. It wouldn't surprise me. But it also wouldn't surprise me if at least one of these ladies was a lesbian or other same-sex preferenced human and just didn't feel comfortable living that. The reason I talk about empathy here is less about Goldine and Joan and more about Betty. While I believe that Goldine and Joan hit it off because that's a huge source of identity as well as your daily experiences as a closeted queer human, I think sometimes the bond of knowing what it's like to have threats to your well-being, both subliminally and openly, 
is a trauma bond that marginalized people connect with each other on. But I feel for Betty. I'm not saying that having an affair was the right thing to do or a good thing to do. But I understand with the context of the times that even if Betty didn't identify in the alphabet rainbow soup, um, even if she was just exploring her identity, there's an element of danger in just doing that. It also makes me a little more apt to take any account of Peter being inflexible and controlling with a grain of salt. Not that there aren't many people in the story close enough to have an accurate read on him, but the fact that despite the culture of the times, Peter knew about Betty and Joan's affair and was willing to reconcile with Betty makes me feel even more for her after his passing. That to me sounds like someone who loved Betty, not what Betty represented or was in a demographic checkbox. It's hard enough to lose someone you love, let alone someone that knows literally every part of you, even the parts of you that other people wouldn't love and would still fight for you. And that's not to say they wouldn't, they should and they will today. But at this time, that was not the case. It's a lot of betrayal and trauma for Betty, even though she wasn't perfect. Thank you for sticking in with my rant. So the last little snippet I'll put in here is about life as a gay person. You meet people who are genuine ride or dies. Like seriously, some of my best friends, and at this point, probably most of my best friends, identify somewhere within that alphabet soup. It took me a very, very long time to trust that people I knew and loved would still love me, stick around, and rally around me after knowing how I identified. It is a major anxiety source in many relationships, especially as someone who doesn't present as very openly, you know, gay. Um, But it's because it makes that part of your identity entirely up to you to share. It is anyway. It's nobody else's business. But when there's no hints except who you're holding hands with, it is far easier to hide and far easier to get away with other people not knowing. I mean, really, truly, unless, you know, you're walking around smooching another whatever you are, who's going to think that? Like, (laughs) (laughs) but it can be a really overwhelming elephant in the room for people that you love and care about that don't know because you don't know how they're going to take that. You don't know if you're going to sit down and they're not going to like it and tell you that it's a sin or that you should be prepared to answer to God. Because I've had that conversation a few times. That wasn't fun. Or even people that say it's hot and sexy and they want to see you with someone else. I mean, I prefer that over the first one, but I'd still prefer to not be fetishized for something Yeah, to be objectified or crucified. Take your, like, pick your poison. Exactly. No, thank you. I'll take objectification over eternal damnation if I have to pick one. But ideally, you just like me as who I am. So what do I know? I mean, what the reels you laugh at anyway, you're going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) We're all just fighting for our place. We're fighting for our place in heaven. (laughs) But with all of that being said, the people that know you and get to know you and love you regardless of anything that may or may not be a subject for persecution in society. I've had people remind me why it's so important to be myself. My friends and family are the people that mean the most to me. And without them and knowing that there's actual comfort and actual security with people who are allies, I don't know how I would have gotten here. And I certainly wouldn't have come out of that closet. And I sure shit wouldn't have stayed out of it. So (laughs) this is to say that my heart goes out to all three of these women on a very human level. Betty really deserved better. And obviously so did Peter. But this is about gay girl power. So we'll get back to him in a few. If you really quickly wanted to support protection and care for people with a slightly different sexual or gender identity preference as you, which again is literally the only thing it is, please consider spending some time educating yourself or donating to organizations which ensure protections or try to fight for them. I've linked two below. The Trevor Project is an amazing place to start. It provides emergency and crisis services to young queers to ensure that Their safety growing up is there and to prevent losing more queer kids to suicide. And there's also the Rainbow Railroad, a nonprofit which helps protect queer people from state-sponsored violence, like in Egypt, where currently still to this day you can be prosecuted for being gay. Back to our regularly scheduled content of murder. Mm. So that was it. That was my gay culture rant. Um, Revisiting this murder plot, Joan had told Goldine that her boss was so evil and vile and said that he destroyed everything around him. 
and she wanted revenge. I mean, I don't look past the fact that she started to frame Peter as being her boss and not her ex-girlfriend's current husband. Um, Yeah. But Joan told Goldine about how poorly he treated his wife, that he got into drugs and that he sucks. And basically, he's the scum of the earth. This gives me Cherie Miller. Like, it reminds me of that where it was like... Let me tell you all of these. Let me let me change the narrative. Leave out some facts. Make this yes. person seem really bad to you so that you feel as motivated as I am to hate them. Yes. And then what are you going to do about it? Huh, huh? And then just find somebody willing to. Literally. Act on it. And so Goldine said Joan and her had discussed killing Peter many times. Even. Um, the coffee dates that they'd go on, they were like, maybe pills, maybe this, maybe that. But they decided on a gun. Seemed best, you know, at least involvement, even if not the least messy. That is so unlike what women tend to use. Ooh. Right? They're and just breaking stereotypes. Boom. They really are. Boom. They're Kicking blasting down walls. through that glass ceiling. Yeah. They said, we will use a gun. <laughs> We ain't going to clean it up. They said, we did choose violence. (laughs) We did not choose poison. Hell no. So they also talked about, you know, what they were going to do. What's the plan? But Joan and Goldine did eventually become a couple. Saw that coming. I Uh mean, if someone's going to kill somebody for or with you, there has to be some kind of romance connection there. happening or there. like you're related or something, but that's not yeah. the case here. I feel like you don't, I love you so much. And if you killed somebody, no, you didn't. Cause you were with me. Right. But I don't, <laughs> but I don't know that I'm like, I'll do it with going, you. Yeah. Yeah. Or for you. In no, this case. definitely. I love you so much, but no. um, um, I'll clean your cat's litter box. I will like, take you to anything you need we'll we'll go travel we'll go we'll do all the incredible things but i yeah if you already killed them maybe i'd help i don't know but like i don't know the whole (laughs) have you seen um there's that bob's burgers gif where well i love bob's burgers but he wakes up like in a sweat from a nightmare and he's like i'm gonna kill teddy because he thinks his like burgers are killing his friend with heart problems and linda his wife wakes up and she's just like Okay, I guess I can homeschool the kids. The truck needs gas. <laughs> and he's like, Linda. And she's like, I'm trying to be supportive. And she goes to bed. Now that's ride or die. <laughs> that's a ride or okay. die. Um, and that's a Goldine to a Joan. Okay. Okay. So it does seem later on that these coffee dates that the two of them had really were intended to make Goldine hate Peter. And in fact, quote unquote, grooming her for that murder. Um, it was good that the police knew that Goldine probably wouldn't have killed Peter without Joan, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Goldine had literally never met Peter. She never saw him before she put a bullet in his chest. And she never talked to him. She didn't know anything. Now, it just it makes you think, what mental health issues did Goldine have where it did not take long for her to, I mean, either be dating Joan or like close friends with her and it developed into a relationship. But how do you convince yourself that somebody is like the ab, like the antithesis of right without ever having met them? And it's not like this was in a world where you could like look them up and like, yeah. Oh, like here's proof of, you know, I'm this let, thing. let me hop on, you know, these things and look at all the things that they're into and not like, oh, this is completely the opposite of me. It's like it's just a man in a bathrobe. Like that's yep. you don't know who it is that you're about hap- to, Yeah, you're yeah. happening upon. That's awful. And so they had a whole plan. And frankly, by they I mean Joan and Goldine did it. Mm. So Goldine got a gun that when she got, she said she did in self-defense. And Joan had funded that purchase. Joan then drove Goldine to get the gun. They paid for and it had two bullets in it. Um, I think that's why they only shot Peter once, because if the whole point of going there was to kill him, it was odd that there was only one bullet fired. Mm. Um, but there was one and she shit. That girl had aim. she hit him right where she needed to hit him and joan then drove back goldine held on to the gun 
Joan decided at some point that Halloween would be the best time to commit the murder because, you know, there's costumes and people are in the streets with scary, gory looking things and no one would think twice. She's a gay woman, but she's a straight shooter. <laughs> That's good. I'm here all week. <laughs> we should make a sticker that says that. <laughs> oh, God. Gay women straight shooters. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, let us know if you want a pin that says that because I do. Um, <laughs> you definitely want. I really do. Um, but I don't think they wanted to pay for any more bullets. I think it literally just came with two. So I think that's the two that was there. The one in Peter and the one found in the gun. Mm, buy one, get one. I yeah. mean. <laughs> Goldine then explained that Joan borrowed Margaret's car. They had a plan and they had the means and all that was left to do was wait for Halloween. Joan made sure that she got clothing and costumes. They dressed up, had like a fun little getting ready party, probably danced to some Hannah Montana. Um, and then they went over to the Fabiano's house. I feel like Goldine doesn't understand the extent of what she's done. Cause it sounds like she's like, Oh my God, no, no, no. Get this. So Joan yeah. came over and we, I don't know. We had like some wine. We were like, we're like hanging out. <laughs> and, then, a little bit. Um, and then after, so <laughs> we kind of talked about this guy and he's like, oh my God, he's like the worst, like such a bore. And um, Joan knows him. I don't, but she just said he like sucks. You know what I mean? Like just the he, worst. Like, does narcotics and beats his wife. And um, was just like a terrible boss and all these things. And so like she had this idea like let's just go get a gun and like it came with two bullets and i was like mm, like i kind of want to go to the movies later so can we not get more bullets and she was like yeah for sure for sure it's like way too expensive so then um <laughs> like we went and it was like we got like maggie's car i was like what's up mags um but she set the trip because she's a bitch and <laughs> um <laughs> you know what i mean like but yeah i'm just getting the idea that she's talking about this so like oh yeah you asked like sure like yeah, no i did that within seconds just was like this was the plan this is what we did this is how it happened like yeah he's terrible and this is why we did this like did she not know that he died or think like oh we scared him or something like the goal was to kill him right it wasn't to freak yes, him out no it was to the goal was peter fabiano's death and i think that that was a lot of how she interacted with Joan. But to her credit, I think after it happened, she freaked the fuck out. And if like only she could have freaked the fuck out on the drive like over. Ten minutes before that. Yeah. yeah. Poor man was in his gym jams. <laughs> he was in his gym jams. And so they're sitting there literally across the street from the Fabiano house, just waiting for the lights to go off. So that Aww. they can ring the doorbell. I think they were there at like 10 o'clock. So they were there for a minute. And Betty's not in on this. Correct. Betty has no idea. What to my knowledge. Betty that opened the door? I know. What would right? they do? Like you just trusted that he was going to do it? Yeah. And so. This candy bowl. Oh, come on. He had, you know, I believe it was just Goldine that went to the door. She rang the doorbell twice. Go, go. Um, and once Peter was shot, Goldine ran back to the car and Joan. Joan needed to drop off the car, and I imagine Goldine needed to get home, but Goldine said this was the first time Joan was ever mean or cruel to her. Hmm. Goldine gets back to the car, and Joan says, forget you ever knew me, and walked away. Oh. Bruh. Oh. I mean, don't get me wrong. Goldine pulled pulled the trigger. Yeah. Goldine murdered this man. She is definitely at fault here, but, she, but there's, not even a, there's not even a but. I mean, she's definitely at fault. I'd rather get dumped than killed. So, I mean, like, of all people, Same. she's not the worst in this situation, not the worst off, but she was so easy, just a very easy... Manipulated. Yeah, pawn yeah. in Joan's little scheme. And I think the sad part is that it's so obvious to see that she's a pawn. Like, it's easy to empathize with her on that level. That doesn't mean that, you know, that condones murder. And even with, if you're manipulated and with <laughs> everything that you touched on before that there was probably even more so of camaraderie is probably not the yeah. best word but like a mutual understanding of like we know each other's secret sort yeah, of thing this and, is the world we live in and like we need like we have to stick together we i need to have your back i hope like I, you need to have mine and yeah now we're gonna like take this a step further i'm gonna have your back even further 
yeah exactly. and then you're gonna say like get fucked afterwards and like kick dirt in my face and walk away yeah and i'm just supposed to never see you again so guess i'll go fuck myself y- like that yeah well and i think that's the hard part joan in the story there's so little redeeming qualities if any i don't know what exactly happened i can imagine she had a hell of a personality or a hell of a talent if she's pulling this much a uh, lady but mm. i mean goldine was so fast to say like i'll murder for you betty almost left her fucking husband for joan like let's not forget that betty moved out of peter's home and into jones she knows how to work the front bottom um and so I, I don't know what's up with Joan, but I sure shit don't like it, to be honest. <laughs> no, Joan sucks. And then the second Joan got what she wanted from Goldie and she said, off you fuck. Bye bye. You haul yourself out of my life. Oh, sorry. I had to get one in there. But then did she think that with Peter out of the way, Betty would just like fall into her hands? I don't know what it was. Honestly, or was she's I really like, don't know. Fuck you. You like you did something to me. I don't have a job now. So this is how I'm getting back. You just go be a receptionist literally anywhere literally. else. Go work with Goldine at the fucking kids' hospital. Oh. So Goldine gives her full confession to the police, which of course means they're both indicted for murder. And then Goldine gives her full confession to the court. The grand jury heard her say everything, including the fact that she had never met Peter before this and that without Joan, she wouldn't have even knew he existed, let alone wanted to kill him. Joan did not testify at all. And... Don't hold your breath because they were both found guilty. Okay. But they were found guilty of second degree murder. What'd they do? 15? Less? Yeah. Shut up. Eight? I'm feeling eight. Less. Don't you? D- Shut the fuck up. Five? five? Five years. No. They were sentenced for five years to life. I which bet is where they sell Were they cellmates? <laughs> and they were roommates. And they were roommates. Um. Actually, fun fact, though, the sentence was so ridiculous. Everybody was so pissed about this that it like started legislature about what to do in because this case. Because these two women got away with killing somebody and it was only five years of their. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Five years to life still means that they're followed for life. But. Right. But I five years longer than that. Literally. <laughs> like, And so. You know, people thought it was way too lenient. For Joan, I certainly agree it was way too lenient. And for Goldina, I think it was too lenient, but not to the same extent that I would have liked to see Joan prosecuted for this. Um, It's hard to say that Goldine deserved a lot more, mostly because I know she'll be watched for the rest of her life on probation. Not to say that she should have done less time than that. She probably should have done a whole hell of a lot more than five years for taking a man's life. But Given the manipulation situation and what I can only assume was some sort of cognitive issue, whether or not that was like a mental health issue or a processing thing or an attachment disorder that led her to get so close and manipulated, I don't know. But knowing that someone would have eyes on her forever felt fine for me. Joan needed to do a whole hell of a lot more than five years for all of this. And frankly, because I'm an equal opportunist. Um, if more time had been added to Jones, I would have been absolutely fine if it was added to Goldine's because they both got sentenced with the same thing. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't care if Goldine does more. I just think that Joan absolutely needed to do more. Yeah. While I can't speak to a specific policy or procedure that was made because of this case, I do know that it had huge implications on policing in L.A. And I think that's a win. Um, And that being said, Goldine got released probably five years later. I mean... Who are we talking about? Probably two and a half years later, because that's the earliest you can get out. And she was probably a model prisoner when nobody was there telling her who to kill. Although, actually, she, she might actually, have had a great time. I think Joan would have been like running the shit. I oh, think Joan would have been. Joan would have been. Oh, if I think of like Orange is the New Black, who would she have been? I didn't actually watch that. Are you <laughs> kidding me? In the show. I'm forgetting her name. Tasty. She's like one of my favorite people on the show. Um, Her like foster mom, adoptive mom. I watched this like way too long ago. Um, Anyway, she ended up in prison with them and she was like running some shit and manipulating everybody yep. and taking advantage of them. And I was like, mm. but she gets hit by a car and it was good. But nice. up until then, you were like, oh, my God, 
this bitch manipulating everybody. Yeah. And Joan out here, like, probably flirting with everybody. She probably knows how to give the best head out of anyone in that prison. Oh. Um, yeah. And then after five years, she also got released. What? A, ugh. Let's be on two and a half. Two and a half. Let's be honest. So Goldine stayed in Los Angeles for the rest of her days. She died in 1998 at 83 years old. That's a very long run. Very long run. And Joan is still a big mystery. I assume that she probably stayed around L.A., but who can be sure? She was everywhere before that. And we can assume she's dead, but I have no proof. Damn. And lastly, Betty. Betty died in 1999. She stayed in the beauty business and moved to Palm Desert, California. And friends, that was the spooky murder of Peter Fabiano from Lesbian Killers on the Loose in L.A. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that wild? What a ride. When we started this, do you think, did you think that this was where we were going to end up? No, I'm just blown away <laughs> that somebody killed somebody they've never met. Never met. And then the second it was done, her girlfriend was like, never talk to me. Like, you don't know me. Like, okay. There's people that kill people, like random strangers, like they find, but they like set out to kill somebody. Yep. There's people that get into a rage over something and then kill the first person they see. Yeah. There's people who like identify a celebrity or a public figure and become like obsessed with it too much so that they set out to kill them at Selena. Yeah. But there's something so odd about secondhand hearing all of these things about somebody that are not confirmed. Yeah. And then just being like, yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. Yeah, sure. Thursday. I mean, I'm not doing anything else. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's just that idea of like, it's really fucking weird that you don't know them. It wasn't like a fit of rage or something else that you had going on. Like you weren't the one that was motivated to do this. Somebody right. else was, but because you, you liked them. It. I don't know. Well, and it's difficult because I'm sure like the kind of things they were connecting on and over feel so bonding because it's like a secret. You're like, okay, other people can't know this. We'll know this. I'll sleep over at your house and it won't be like a fun sleepover. It'll be like a sleepover. Because they were best friends. Historically speaking, connected at the hip. And just so, to clarify, we said what last episode that you slept over. You actually did just sleep I over. I did sleep over. Um, <laughs> we're both happily taken and she's my token straight friend. So Correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, so they are really in on this. And then it's like, nope, just forget you know me. I mean, that's awful in anything. Like, to be close and then the next day it's like, yep, and we're not, so bye. Yep. And at this point it wasn't even the day after. It was, oh, you just just shot him. All right, we're done. Thanks for doing it. Bye. Oh. Which makes me just feel for Goldine. That has to suck. But also don't people. Okay, but Gogo should not have... No, go in the first place. Every ability to not do that, which is why I'm fine if she has more than five years on her sentence. She should have also, but Joan especially. But I mean, Gogo should have. Yeah. Gogo and JoJo. I just, you know, <laughs> but Gogo probably had some issues. Oh, like there certainly. had to have been either like some kind of delay, like overly trusting, overly. I mean, I can't say innocent, but trust. I mean, that that kind of like, yeah, rose colored glasses view of like the one person that was maybe nice to you or something. That's just a really tough way to go through life that. That's what. Yeah. She's willing to do for someone who's kind to her. And this is why you don't sign up for group projects, you guys. No, Like this is why if you have the option to work in a group or you work by yourself. It's just better to work by yourself. Oh, my God. It's so much better to work by yourself. Because, you, you know. Groups are a whole thing. Groups are. And you, you rarely get to choose them. And even if you do, you're like, oh, that's good. Wait a minute. They. Yeah. Nah. And you know? now I will say there is something a little bit nice about this case being so old. It feels like there's been some good time in between it. Some good separation. And it was a crazy twisty story and wild ride we are done with it which is nice but um i thought that that 
you know, I had originally anticipated doing a two-parter for this episode, um, but that was all about like child murders. And so I thought it's spooky season. Let's be spooky and let's not sob the whole time. So that'll come to you another time. But thank you. I thought that this was seasonally appropriate. I thought it was a good way to talk about some of what it's like to be a queer person in America and how that relates to this um, and how, you know, you meet your best ride or dies and there are places to learn more. There are people to talk to. Please don't, as a PSA from your local queer, don't ask one person every question about everyone in the soup. They don't know. Uh, we barely know enough. Well, that's not true, but I, I was going to say we barely can label ourselves sometimes. So uh, just because someone identifies somewhere doesn't mean they know all of the nuance and culture of every color in said flag, if you will. Heckers, yeah. And also just a, a fun reminder that wherever you're at, it's okay. You want to tell people it's fine. You don't, it's fine. Do what you need to do. Nobody else is obligated to that information. Just be consensual. Consensual and respectful to everyone you meet. Consent is sexy. In the words of Mrs. Abeldabelson, kindness and respect always. That's rule number one. Oh. Actually, that's rule 1B. Rule 1A is safety first. So Love it. Safety first and kindness and respect always. Thank you. Thanks, Mrs. Abeldabelson. So with all that, we love you all. If you wanted to see pictures of the people, places, things, the Fabiano faces, the homes, the reprieves, the memes. Adoni. Adoni. If you you want to see a Fabiano uh, gambling game from Tuesday night, we got you on the Instagram. Minus the gambling game. We don't really do that there. So (laughs) you can find us at About Time for True Crime Pod with periods in between every word. That's A-B-O-U-T period, T-I-M-E period, F-O-R period, T-R-U-E period, C-R-I-M-E period, P-O-D because podcast was too long. But if you like podcasts, wanted to send us something too long for Instagram, more than a DM, more than a little snippet would show you on a comment, feel free to email us. Allie, where would they do that? If you'd like to email us all of the things Abby said or like a pod pad or anything like pod that, um, we absolutely want pictures of your cats, dogs, any other pets that you have that I'm... We've gotten pictures of snakes before. Yeah. Um, all the pod pets. We don't discriminate. We love all of the pets. Yeah. Um, and we will be giving them cute little kisses on their cute little noses um, from afar. But if you want to send us any and all of those things you can do that to about time the number four tc at gmail.com so yeah. that's a-b-o-u-t-t-i-m-e numeric four tc at gmail.com we thank you guys for hanging out with us in our little yeah. corner of the internet and would invite you to rate review subscribe download tell a friend tell a family member uh repost our shiznits Take a look at our stickers. Speaking of, our 100th freaking episode is going to come out soon. And I'm working on some fun graphics for that. So we'll see how that turns out. Just keep an eye peeled. And of course, if you go down below into our link tree, you'll have all of those things right in front of your face, as well as our Redbubble for stickers and a Venmo and a PayPal in case you want to give us a coffee to do this every Tuesday night. In case you're (laughs) feeling a little fun. But... Other than that, we are just so glad you're here in any capacity. And we love interacting with our little fam. So We love you guys so much. And if I take a quick look at my watch, I do believe that that was about, about time, time for, for true crime. crime. Bye. Bye. Are you a little...